you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it is so good to see all of you here. It's so good to be with you uh, this morning, whether you're here in person watching live, or you're watching live online or listening or watching on demand later. Uh, it's just so good to be together. Um, as some of you know, if you're on our emailing list, uh, that I wasn't here last week. Um, and for you, it's been two weeks if you've been part of the 1030 service where uh, two weeks ago, I preached in the morning first service. Uh, Thomas and the team did a great job recording it playing it for second service because I wasn't feeling well. Um, And so now that I'm recovering from COVID and feeling better, uh, it's so great to be able to be back together, to hear your voices in worship and to dive into God's word together and to have a time of community and connecting. So uh, if we've not met yet, I would love an opportunity to meet you after the service. Um, And if you're watching online, you're getting connected. We would love an opportunity to connect you with one of our hosts or to find out how we could come alongside you in your journey. With that said, Uh, This week, um, today, was a day that even though I didn't preach last week, I wasn't supposed to be preaching today. In fact, I'm very grateful. Philip did a great job last week kind of reminding us about what really matters and asking the question, do, do our ambitions match our convictions? And unpacking the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ is what matters most in our lives and the hope we have in him. And he opened up our series called The Content Life. And the reality is that he was supposed to preach today on this passage, but when I got sick, he was willing to jump in and and did a great job. And the reason that I was not supposed to be preaching today was because uh, our family and I were planning on being in the Bay Area this week. Um, we, were, we had a vacation plan from Wednesday of this previous Wednesday to this coming Tuesday that we were going to spend a week uh, visiting my dad and stepmom, visiting some of Steph's family and friends as well, uh, being able to go to a San Francisco Giants game. Um, if you're unaware, that's my favorite team. I grew up there. So it was, uh, we're trying to raise the, the children, our children, in the way that they should go. So we want them to love the Lord and then to love the Giants, the 49ers, the Warriors, the important things. Um, and so just recognizing, like, we had all these things planned. And then circumstances changed. And then you get a, a positive COVID test and you think, okay, now what does this look like for, you know, for our trip? And the day we found out we had to make all these different audibles, all these different changes to canceling our flight, trying to find a new flight, trying to cancel the dog sitter, trying to communicate to people we're going to visit, trying to return the tickets to the game, but the Giants are playing the Rockies and nobody wants to see them play. So we ended up not being able to get the ticket. Like it's all these different things that all of a sudden we're like, oh man, like our circumstances changed. And I was upset. Our family was upset. We were discouraged. Um, Sometimes it was anger, sometimes it was sadness, sometimes just feeling let down. Because in our family, uh, we were exposed to COVID a couple years ago, right around Shaylin's birthday. And so she wasn't able to celebrate her birthday and grandparents weren't able to visit. So it feels like COVID really threw a wrench into those circumstances, into that event. And then to have it now, and then it feels like we had this trip planned, we were looking forward to it, we were excited, we had it all lined up. And it was re- it's really easy when our circumstances change, When things don't go according to plan, it's so easy for us, or (coughs) 
excuse me, maybe speak for myself, for me to be able to get really frustrated and to think we hadn't lined up, God, why couldn't you just let us go on this trip? Or why did this have to happen? When it happened, how it happened. But all of these things are a matter of perspective. Because the perspective of, yes, our trip got canceled, but we're able to plan it and hopefully, prayerfully, with loose hands, hold it for a, for a trip in August to be able to make it work. That, yes, I got sick, but prayerfully and thankfully, and I, and I believe in response to many of your prayers, no one else in the family got COVID. So, yes, we're able to have you know, more, it was hard that I wasn't feeling well, but we're able to have more time together. See, it's about our perspective. When circumstances change, when things don't work out the way that we want, and when our plans kind of go awry, how do we respond? I was speaking with a friend of mine from my previous church last week, um, and he uh, is, I believe he's 41, 42 now, and he was sharing with me that, you know, he's kind of having a little bit of like a midlife crisis. Um, and he's, and the way, what he said was, well, you know, my 40s aren't going how I expected them to be. And I think it's one of those where, first off, he's, he's one of the like really good long-term planners. Like he's very regimented, very structured, very like good at things and very good planning and projecting and leading. And so it's one of those where he's like, okay, my 30s will be this, my 40s will be this, my 50s will be this. And I'm like, I'm just trying to make it through the next week, you know, like, but recognizing that he's like, you know, the life isn't what I thought it would be right now. And I shared with him, I... I mean, I'm only 37 for a couple of weeks, so, you know, I'm barely at midlife yet. So, anyways, um, but recognizing that he was like, you know, I told him, I was like, I wonder if many people, when we have midlife crises, if it's because, quote, we, life isn't what we thought it would be right now. It's the circumstances are different. Maybe my career isn't going the way it is. Maybe I'm not living in the house I want to, in the area I want to, in the, maybe my kids aren't doing as well as I want. Maybe it's something where I don't have what I wanted or think I'm getting what I deserve. It's life hasn't gone the way I wanted it to go. So when that happens, because it's going to happen, we all have circumstances change. How do we respond? What does it look like for us to not give up to despair and to not be a prisoner of the moment? And what does it look like for us to still find joy, peace, and contentment in the midst of a world and circumstances that want to rob us of each of those? So we're going to start in Philippians 1 verse 12 in just a moment. If you'll join me in a word of prayer as we ask God to meet us where we are and to show us what he has for us this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who is um, part of our service right now, whether they're watching online live, in person live, or um, watching the podcast or listening later. God, I thank you that each person who hears my voice is someone who is deeply loved by you. I pray, Father, that as, um, as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us, Lord. And I know that each person who hears my voice is loved by you and formed by you, and you know how to speak to them in a way far greater, far better than I ever could. So Holy Spirit, may you meet each of us individually where we are, and may you take us where you want us to go this morning for the message. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So as I mentioned, we're going to be in Philippians 1, chapter 12. And the question we're going to talk about is, 
different prison perspectives. The perspective that Paul has while he's in prison. Because what's the context here? He's writing to the church in Philippi. He is currently in a Roman prison. He's being, uh, he has house arrest where he's uh, locked and chained to a guard 24 hours a day. He's in a place where he is, you would imagine that he would look at his life and say, this is not what I thought it would be. He was one of the, the greatest Pharisees. He was a great leader in the Jewish community. Everyone respected him. Everyone knew that Paul, at the time his name was Saul. So Saul had it together. And yet Jesus came in and the circumstances of his life were completely turned upside down. And that led to being beaten. That led to being um, persecuted. That led to being imprisoned. It led to circumstances that he would look at and say, you know, if without the right perspective... It would look like God had abandoned him, forgotten him, or that he clearly wasn't where God wanted him to be because things weren't working out the way he wanted. He could have said life wasn't turning out the way I thought it would be, and he'd be in his full rights to do so. But what we're going to unpack is that all of us have different perspectives, and we're all prisoners to something in regards to what it is that holds us back, what it is that causes us frustration, what it is that causes us to struggle. And so the question we're going to ask is kind of a weird one, but it's which prisoner are you as we list a few different options coming from this passage? Which prisoner are you? Because unless if you're watching online in prison, most of us aren't physically in a prison right now. But perhaps we are emotionally, spiritually, relationally, mentally. And so what does it look like for us to recognize that if Jesus came to set the captives free, and if we are meant to have freedom in Christ, how do we get set free from some of these prisons that may be holding us back? And so we're going to start off in verse 12. And the first type of prison that we see here is a prison of our circumstances. A prison of circumstances. This is, again, owing to the fact that Paul is in prison. But here's what he says. <coughs> here's what he says in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Think about what he's saying there. We'll stop there for a moment. Think about what he's saying. That what has happened to me, being beaten, being persecuted, being imprisoned, being sought after, all these things that at this point he's now locked in a Roman prison, chained to a guard, and yet he's saying this is for the furthering of the gospel, the advancement of the gospel. What has happened to me that may look like it is a curse, God can use for a blessing. What looks like God has abandoned me has revealed that God has never been closer to me. It's the reminder that he's looking and he says, what has happened? From your perspective, it looks awful. And he's not loving it, right? It's not like he enjoys it, but he can still find joy in it. It's not that it's a place of peace, but he could find peace in the midst of conflict. It's not that he loves being surrounded by this, but he can still be content. And part of the story of Philippians, as we unpack this Philippians series over the next 10 weeks, 
is looking at this content life, the kind of life that looks around at the world around us and can still find joy, peace, and contentment in the midst of it. The kind of life that Paul shows us 2,000 years ago that resonates in our world today. He says, what has happened has actually served to advance the gospel. See, when our circumstances don't work out the way we want, do we blame the circumstances around us? Do we start to look and say, well, of course I would want to have a better life, but I didn't grow up in a good home, or I didn't have the right opportunities, or I didn't have you know, the, the right abilities to do certain things? Or do we look and we look at the external circumstances and instead of figuring out what it is that God may show us through our difficulties, we blame the difficulties and then say, well, you know, we we just throw our hands in the air and say there's nothing else we could have done. So one of the things that makes circumstances so dangerous for us or, or being a prisoner to them and thinking that it's all the circumstances around us, it's all their fault, it's all its fault, Part of it is that we have, many of us have an overinflated sense of what we can control. And the sense of we think that there's, there's things that influence us and there's things that we could control. And when our circle of control, when it expands to be as big as of what influences us, we think that something that has no, we have no control over, we can influence to the point where then if it doesn't work out, we think it's our fault. Let me give you a very... Um, unimportant example. So as I mentioned, we're raising our kids in the way that they should go to follow Bay Area sports and follow the Lord. Lord first, sports second. Um, Well, like fifth, but anyways. Uh, Recognizing that um, if you follow the NBA playoffs, uh, the Golden State Warriors are playing the Boston Celtics. Um, Right now, the series is is tied two to two. Each won two games, best out of seven. But on Friday, the Warriors were down two games to one. And I told the girls, my girls, you know, you know we, I love sports, but you, like, I need you to know, I don't pray about sports. Like, I don't go to God and say, God, please let the Warriors win. Um, because I'm like, God has bigger things to worry about. And truth be told, I have bigger things to pray about, right? But I want them to win. And somehow, if you're, if you're a fan of a team, maybe, maybe you're better than me in this. And maybe you can understand as well. Where I feel like, and fans, sometimes we feel like we could influence the game from hundreds of miles away. Let me give you an example. Uh, A few years ago when the Giants were trying to get into the playoffs in 2016, I just bought a brand new Giants hat and I had it in a bag from like Lids from the mall or something like that. And I had it in in a very specific place on the couch. I just kind of dropped it off. And I remember Steph tried to move it, but like when when the hat was on the couch, the Giants were winning. And so I'm like, I must keep moving it back to the, Steph's laughing at me. Yeah, it's like, it's like, I moved it back. They ended up losing. It's not a big deal. They made the playoffs, lost in the wild card. Did I really believe that that has an influence? No, but yes. Um, During the 49ers run to the playoffs this past year, uh, I'd found a shirt at my old mom, at my mom's old house, and I wore the same shirt every week in the playoffs. And we kept winning. So what do you think I wore? I'm like, I'm wearing the shirt. No, I didn't wash it, but I only wore it for a few hours. Um, But it's one of those where, again, they ended up losing. Do I really think 
that it did that. No, I don't really. I don't really believe in luck. I don't really believe in like fans being able to affect it. But in my mind, we could think I can help control the outcome. I can help influence when reality, my circle of control over whether any of the teams I like do well is minuscule. But I think I could influence. See, when our circumstances go awry and we think that we can have more, inf- we have more control than we really do, then it causes us to then blame ourselves for what's going on or to put the blame on others rather than try to see what might be God trying to show me in these circumstances. Paul looks and he says, what has happened to me is for the advancement of the gospel. He continues on in verse 13. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. See, as I mentioned, he's chained to a prison guard to ensure that he doesn't escape. And so every day, He's chained to someone and he's meeting people who are coming to visit him or he's writing letters. Every day, someone is in the room with him and he has a literal captive audience in order to share about Jesus. And so he's able to talk about and pray for his, his, the, the jailers. He's able to have a relationship and talk to them. And I imagine that at some point, they're think, in the beginning, they're probably thinking, oh man, I got to go listen to Paul right now. Like, you know, he just never stops talking about Jesus. And I don't even know. And he like, I don't know, he just writes all the time. It's so boring. And yet over time, someone who loves the Lord that much and is able to share that freely will be able to be a light in a dark place, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, that the, his good deeds would shine before men. Like a, and we don't hide a light from a bushel basket, but it would shine in, in a crooked and depraved generation. He shines like stars. See, there's a opportunity that everyone around him, the palace guards, those who are locked into him, next to him, or those who work with those guards, everyone knows that he's in prison because he loves Jesus. And to him, that's what's most important. The circumstances about being beaten and persecuted and imprisoned, it's not that he had those happen for that sake. It's because he loves Jesus so much that he's willing to experience those things. And because he loves Jesus so much to experience those things, When people find out that someone who really loves Jesus goes to prison and yet still really loves Jesus, it has an incredible impact. There's a book I've referenced before called um, Jesus Freaks by DC Talk and Voice of the Martyrs that lists different martyrs or Christians who've been persecuted for their faith or lost their lives because of their faith, all the way from the New Testament apostles, all the way to modern day. And there's a story of Helen Berhane, who she was um, in a country that did not allow um, Christians and Christianity. There were a few state religions, but she was of a specific denomination of following the Lord that was not officially approved. And so she got arrested, and she was a worship leader, and she would share. And so she would be in the prison with other prisoners and talked about how She'd say, you know what we need to do? We need to sing like Paul and Silas sang in prison. We need to allow our worship to be able to encourage us and to give praise to God. 
And eventually she was released after being in this flea-infested shipping container and just going through just horrible circumstances. But what she talks about at the end, or, or at the summary of her story, because she does survive and she, she's able to share her story still, she talks about how we shouldn't say, why did God allow this to happen? Or why did he allow that to happen? Because he's a good, loving God. He showed that to us by dying on the cross, sending Jesus to die on the cross. So we shouldn't say, why did God allow that to happen? What we should ask is, what does God want to teach me from this? Or maybe we could say, how would God want to use this to further the gospel? That only God can use the moments of our deepest pain and tragedy and darkness to be a light and encouragement to others who are going through the same thing. Only God can take our tragedies and make them triumphs. Only God can turn our messes into messages. Only God can take our darkest moments and make them shine bright with the power of the gospel. That friends, we are like mosaics that are broken and, and we have all these different pieces in our lives. But a mosaic is one where the broken pieces are artistically and beautifully and creatively designed. And then the light shines through it to reveal beauty in the brokenness and in the design. Friends, I don't know what circumstances you have going on in your life. I don't know what brokenness you're experiencing and I don't want to devalue and say they're not real. His imprisonment was real. His pain and his heartache was real. And so is yours. But when we come and we don't become a prisoner to circumstance, but we offer up to God, say, God, what do you want to show me through this? What do you want me to learn? And how do you want to shine through this? It allows us to see the furthering of the gospel, even what was meant for us to experience harm could actually be used for good. In one of his, uh, com in the commentary about Philippians, David Hawking says it this way, it seems like Paul's life was one constant example of how circumstances that appear to be trials and difficulties are turned into blessings and especially into further expansion of the gospel. That which others have meant for evil, God can use for good. Viktor Frankl, who was a Holocaust survivor in Auschwitz, wrote Man's Search for Meaning. And in that, he says it this way about being imprisoned. He said, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. I don't know your circumstances. And, I, and again, I don't devalue or anything. I, I honor that those circumstances you have are real. But instead of being prisoners to them, we can choose to have an attitude to honor God through them. What does that look like? To be prisoners, not of circumstances, but of something and someone greater. The second thing he talks about is, which prisoner are you? Perhaps some of us are a prisoner of conflict. A prisoner of different conflicts, competition, comparison that go on interrelationally with one another. And so because of that, there becomes envy and strife. Here's how he describes it, starting in verse 15. 
It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. <laughs> so there are people that, so let's, let's sit here and, and let's think about it. Paul's in prison. He loves Jesus. He's in prison because of his love for Christ. He's, everyone around him knows that he loves Jesus. Everyone around him knows he's in chains for Christ. He's writing a letter to people that he knows he needs to encourage because in their context, there's persecution, there's difficulty, there's trial. And so in the midst of the persecution, difficulty, and trial, he's encouraging them to have joy and peace and contentment. And then he's sitting here and he's saying, you know what? There are people who have conflict with me that I know are specifically trying to stir up trouble for me through the way that they preach the gospel. Through the fact that they're preaching in hopes that their preaching of the gospel would make things harder for me in prison. This idea of envy and preaching out of rivalry. It's this idea of saying they are not, they don't have the right motives but they're still sharing the right message. What encourages me about this is recognizing how God uses imperfect and broken people to share the hope of the gospel. So if you're saying, I, I don't have everything all together, friends, neither do I. Just because I have a microphone taped to my face doesn't mean I have this all figured out. But what it does mean is that we're on this journey together. And what it means is that God can use broken vessels to be able to wash the feet of the world. God can use imperfect paintbrushes to paint masterpieces. God can use broken pieces of glass to become part of his mosaic. We do not wait to be perfect to be used by a perfect God. There is the idea that we can be so caught up though, friends, in conflict, that we allow interpersonal conflict with others, specifically other believers. If you look at the passage, these are people who are preaching Christ. But we can allow interpersonal conflicts with other believers to become so important to us that we care more about being proven right over that person or being compared and looking better than that person, that it causes us to miss the focus of the gospel. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 talks about how some of you say, I follow Apollos and I follow Paul. And he says, or I follow Cephas or Peter. He's like, who are Paul? Who are, one, one waters the seed, one plants the seed, one waters the seed, but it's God who brings the growth. It's not about any person getting credit. It's about God getting glory. And so if we as Christians or if me as a pastor, if I look at other pastors and I get envious of things that they're experiencing, then that's on me. If there's a rivalry, and thankfully we live in a city where I know so many of the senior pastors here. There's uh, Pastor Evan helped start a group years ago that we pastors pray once a month. So it's, there's not a lot of that here, which I'm very grateful for. But I've got social media too, and I see what other pastors are doing or what other things. And it's easy to fall into the sin of comparison. And comparison robs us of joy, but comparison robs us of contentment. It teaches us to not be grateful for what we have and to long for what others have.
So if we are prisoners of conflict, it means that we are allowing what's happening between others to stop us from following God fully. It allows us to think that it's more important for people to not know about Jesus because we don't like someone else who shares about him. It says that we place more priority on that than the fact that the reason we share the gospel is so that lives will be changed. There's a story of John Wesley and George Whitefield, and they're, they're pastors and they're preachers years ago that um, there was a rivalry that, that developed between them. And in that rivalry, someone asked John Wesley one, Wesley one day and asked him, do you think that you will see Whitefield up in heaven? John Wesley says, no, I don't. And so the, the man who asked him followed up, like, oh, so you don't believe that he's a converted man? John Wesley says, oh, he's a converted man. He knows Jesus. The difference is that he's going to be so close to the throne of God, and I'm going to be so far that I won't be able to see him from where I'm standing. In other words, he recognizes that there can be rivalry, that there can be interpersonal conflicts, but that doesn't mean, and that doesn't supersede the importance of sharing the gospel that Whitefield and Wesley are sharing the gospel, that you and those around you who love Jesus can share the gospel, not because we're perfect, but because we're loved by God. And we can't let interpersonal conflict as believers stop us from being a witness in our world. How are we to be known as Jesus talks about? You will be known by the love you have for one another. Love one another and obey my commands. That's how the world will know you are mine. So friends, we don't want to be prisoners of um, circumstances. We don't want to be prisoners of conflict. What we want is like Paul defines himself to be a prisoner of Christ. That in Ephesians 3.1, Ephesians 4.1, and Philemon 1, chapter 1, he introduces himself as a prisoner for Christ or a prisoner for the Lord, a prisoner to Christ. And recognizing that this is, this is who he is held captive by. The jails can't hold him back from sharing the gospel. The conflict with those around him who want to stir up trouble for him can't hold the gospel back. And so he holds himself closely to Christ and sees all things under Christ's power and through the power of the gospel. So he asks these questions. He talks about how people preach out of ambition or trouble for me. They want to stir up trouble. And then verse 18, I love this. He just says, but what does that matter? What does it matter if people are preaching out of the wrong motives? Now, some of us might think, well, but, but if they're preaching out of the wrong motives, then how do we know? Like, but again, God uses imperfect people. In fact, there's no perfect person who's ever existed other than Jesus. So every person that God has used has been imperfect. And so what he's saying is that what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether false motives are true, Christ is preached. And because of that, I rejoice. Friends, hear me again. The important thing in our lives is that Christ is preached. The important thing in our world is that Christ is preached. The important thing for the, for the betterment, for the improvement of our world is that Christ is preached. That Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to bring dead people into new life to recognize that 
the hope that we have like an anchor for our souls in the midst of circumstances and conflicts that cause storms in our lives. The hope we have for the anchor of our souls is our relationship with Jesus. Warren Wearsby talks about this in his devotional, or not, excuse me, his commentary about Philippians. He says, the secret is this, that when you have the single mind, a singular focus that the most important thing is Christ is preached, you look on your circumstances as God-given opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel, and you rejoice at what God is going to do instead of complaining about what God didn't do. Friends, that is much easier said than done. It's much easier to read on a screen rather than live in our lives. And yet, if we become prisoners of circumstances, then we are being tossed by the waves of the world around us. If we are prisoners of conflict, then we are allowing a conflict of someone around us, someone that we know, to speak louder in our hearts than the voice of Christ. The kind of conflict that you hold on to and you think about what you wish you had said, what you should have said, maybe what you shouldn't have said. And then the relationship is broken. It's hard to share Christ with someone when there's a broken bridge. So what we're talking about, what we need to look at here is saying, yes, our circumstances are hard. Yes, our conflicts are real not devaluing them. But instead of looking back and saying, God, how come you wouldn't let us go on our Bay Area trip this week? How come we weren't able to go on that vacation to visit family? Or how come fill in the blank for something that you're struggling with today that God didn't do? We ask God, what can you do and what do you want to do through this season and this difficulty? So I want to close with a, with a video briefly, and, and I've showed it before uh, a couple years ago, but here's, here's the context of it. Um, some of you might be here today, and you think, listen, I, you don't, because of the circumstances of the conflict or something else going on in my life, I don't feel close to God. We're talking about prison perspectives, and so our perspective may be conflict or circumstance or Christ, but you may say, I want to have the perspective, but I feel so far from him that I don't feel like he's even here. The circumstances, the conflict, the difficulty, the pain, the trials, the, the different situations are so heavy, I don't feel like God is near me. I don't feel like he's close. I don't feel like he cares. And so what I want to do is I'm going to show a video um, that helps us to zoom. It's, it zooms in on an object and then it zooms out to show us what it really is. If you're listening to the podcast, you're not watching, I encourage you to go to YouTube and type in the words everyday objects in macro. Uh, the first video will be about two minutes and 37 seconds. Uh, and you could click that while we're watching it here and then you could jump back in with us. That way you can visually see what we're going to be seeing live or on the video podcast. But here's what I want us to do is to think about the context of how many of these items can you recognize when they're really up close and how many of them looked much different than you thought they would. So let's go ahead and watch this video together for the next couple minutes. Thank you. 
Did you get them all right? No, me neither. Uh, some of the ones that threw me off the most is I thought that the, uh, the red bottle cap I thought was like a bell pepper or a tomato, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, you know, that's a, that's a bottle cap. Um, I got the toothbrush one though, right, because it had the white bristles and the blue, um, and the Oreo one, because delicious. So uh, here's the point, right? When you think of something and you think about what it's like and, and the perspective is, we couldn't fi figure out what those were when we're so close to it. Why? Because we're so close that it's hard to be able to see something for its full context and for its full view. Sometimes in our perspectives, we can seem like we don't recognize God. We don't recognize his presence. We don't recognize his love. We don't recognize his care for us. We feel like he's abandoned us, left us, and is distant from us. And yet sometimes he's much closer than we think. Paul was in prison in a place where he could have said, my life did not turn out the way I thought it would. God is distant, but instead he was closer to God in, those, in that cell than we can imagine. In the midst of your trial, in the midst of your circumstance, in the midst of your conflict today, is it possible that while you're thinking God is so distant because I don't recognize him, maybe we just change our perspective and see that he's much closer than you think. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He loves you more than you can imagine. And even in our times of greatest darkness, where we feel like we can't see any light, is it possible? The reason we can't see any light is because he's embracing us so closely that our head is buried in his chest. And he's holding us so tightly that we don't see light, not because he's not there, but because he's so close to block out the struggles around us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, and I thank you for the fact, Lord, that each person who is here or listening or watching right now, God, that we have our conflicts, Lord. Those are real, and we know that, and we ask for your help to be at peace as far as it is up to us to be at peace with everyone, but knowing that sometimes we've got to let go of those conflicts and not let them hold us back and not let them stop us from building relationships with other people or being so hurt that we don't care anymore. God, we know that there are circumstances in here that are really, really tough. But we thank you that you can use the really, really tough circumstances in our life to be a blessing and a light to those who are going through similar circumstances. That you can use us, imperfect people, to point to you, a perfect God. And Father, I pray that we would fix our eyes upon you, the author and perfecter of our faith, to all these other things, circumstances, conflicts, they don't matter in comparison to you being preached and lives being changed. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, 
cared for and loved. See you next time.